0: Lord, in these quiet moments, we want to uh, quiet our hearts from the busyness of our world. We want to focus in and uh, focus down on your word. We open our lives to your truth. Whatever you have for us today, we want it. And we ask you to speak clearly. Um, Thank you, Jesus, for loving us with such an everlasting love and uh, for making a place for us in the kingdom of God. We want all you have to give in Jesus' name, amen. Know it or not, everything you do is connected to something you believe. Your beliefs cause you to act in certain ways. Uh, You believe that that chair is strong enough to hold you up. You had to believe that to actually sit down on it or you wouldn't have sat there. You believe that your vehicle will get you from home to church or you wouldn't have left home this morning. You believe that if you eat food, um, you'll thrive. If you don't eat food for a long period of time, you'll die. So you act on that belief, and you'll eat something between now and when you go to bed tonight. Uh, Now, now because you're here and are breathing, uh, I know that you have never experienced the alternative. Uh, So it's by faith that you are acting and taking in food and chewing and swallowing, because you believe that if you don't eat, you won't be around for long. Belief always comes before action. Now that's simple. But I want to ask you today about your belief in God. Does your belief about God impact how you live? Does it mean anything in your life from day to day? Lots of people like to say that they believe, but really? Saying you believe doesn't necessarily mean you really believe. So today this strange title to a sermon, "Do you in small letters believe or or in large letters believe, or only in small letters believe. If it makes no difference in how you live, in what you do from day to day, and how you speak and think and act, maybe you've got that lowercase kind of belief, and what you need is a more engaging faith, a bigger, more consuming belief. My pastor in Owatonna, Michael Simmerman, likes to point to a chair and says, do you believe in theory or do you believe in actuality? You can believe theoretically that the chair will hold you up, or you can actually demonstrate your belief by placing your bottom on the seat. So do you believe or just believe? True belief is connected to the way we live and speak and think and act. Genuine faith has to be more than just a set of theological doctrines that I nod my head to and say, oh yeah, I believe that. Yep, I agree, that sounds biblical. No, genuine belief, biblical belief, is a belief that is so impactful and powerful that it requires of you and demands of you, and through it, God actually reshapes the person you are. Let me tell you something. In the Bible, the word belief, faith, is not, pri- not only about doctrines, not only about your agreement with certain creeds or scripture points of view, it's a way more personal and impactful word than that. Now, your English text will cue you with the phrase, the faith, when it's speaking about the doctrines of our belief. But understand, it goes way deeper than just ideas that you say to be true. Our language does give us some difficulty here to understand this. We have the words beliefs, which means doctrines, Ideas we agree with, that's a big word in Christian circles, but the New Testament means more. The word pistis is not only about ideas, it's more about a relationship, trust in a person. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life believing in jesus is not believing that he was a historical character believing in god is not believing he exists believing in god is not just believing he's right or believing his word is true it's trusting him Believing in Jesus is trusting him, following him, submitting our life to him. Do you believe with caps or do you only believe lowercase? Do you live trusting him or is he just an add-on to your life? What I want to challenge you to today is the kind of belief that is so significant, so consequential, so consuming and impactful in your life that it's like a new plane of existence because it's possible to experience God not as some distant, disinterested ruler of the universe but as your closest, most intimate lover and friend. We're talking about what the Bible describes as faith, belief, not a set of doctrines you nod your head to, but a relationship with Jesus that connects you personally with Him and not only helps and resources you when life gets hard, but gives you perspective and purpose and meaning when life is going well, where you know God is actually with you and working in you and walking with you, alive through you, that kind of faith. God's great desire is to draw you into a relationship of trust in him, confidence in him, where every area of your life is shaped by your faith in him, not some doctrine added on to a life that you control. Capital letters, faith, not lowercase faith. Now, English has that usage of believe as well, that idea of full commitment. If my wife and I were having a disagreement, it happens, doesn't it, honey? Um, And I say to her, Harriet, believe in me. I would not be saying to her, believe I exist. She will probably tell you she has more than enough evidence of that. I would not even be saying I'm right, although that would be part of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, Harriet, trust me. Go with me. Do it my way. That's the word pistis, James 2.19. You believe there is one God. Little characters believe. You believe there's a God. Well, good. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. You see, it's not really about ideas you nod your head to saying, yes, that's true. It's not about things you agree with. It's not about doctrines or you acknowledge or assent to. It's more about trusting God enough to give Him your life and let Him manage your life and control your choices. That's the belief of John 3.16. So listen, listen, if for you believing in Jesus is just agreeing that there was a Jesus, if believing in God for you is just agreeing that there is one, but you're doing life your own way, thank you very much, then I think you need to ask some serious questions about whether you can count on the promise of eternal life. Whoever believes in him has everlasting life. And that's the story of the Old Testament. That's the truth of Jesus' message. That's the foundation of the establishment of the church. God wants a personal connection with you, a relationship where you trust him and and live trusting him with capital letters, faith. What is God trying to do in your life? He's attempting to show you a relationship where you trust him, follow him, walk with him. Steve, why are you on this today? We haven't even gotten to the Scripture for today. Why are you on this? Because listen, I think often Christians have got it a bit confused. At the end of the day, what God wants is a relationship that is based on that kind of faith, belief, trust. More than God wants you to know the Bible more than God wants you to have correct doctrine, more than God wants you to serve in church programs, more than any of that, God wants a close, intimate relationship with you where you trust Him, where faith in Him is how you live and think and act. Okay, let's turn to a great text today. Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, here in this passage, is the only place in all the Gospels where Jesus is amazed at someone else, amazed by something someone does. The Bible says that the people were constantly amazed with Jesus, but this is where Jesus was amazed impressed with someone? How would you like to be the only person in all of history that made Jesus go, wow, that's amazing? And I'll tell you, even before we read it, that it's not about some guy's Bible knowledge. It's not about his being holy and godly. It's not about some deep doctrine that he understands. Jesus is amazed at this guy's capital letters, faith. He, uh, Matthew 8 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. A centurion, what is that? Well, that's a Roman officer who had a hundred men assigned under him in the Roman army, maybe like a captain or a major in our military. A centurion came to him asking for help, probably not at all appreciated by the disciples. This guy's our enemy. He's an invader. He's a conqueror, a bad guy. He's a pagan. He's a Roman, not recognizable as a God follower. He's a heathen asking Jesus for help, and the disciples were not pleased. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And the disciples are probably saying, good, let him die. Because Jews hated Romans. Good, hope he dies. I hope it's contagious that all of you Romans get it. We don't help Romans. We're Jews. We're God's people. But Jesus said, verse 7, shall I come and heal him? Other translations will say Jesus said, I'll go. Now, there weren't question marks in the Greek language, so we simply don't know if it was a question or a statement. Either way, these Jewish disciples are rolling their eyes. We're not going to go to a Roman's house. Jesus, are you kidding? We're going to start healing our enemies? That's crazy. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. You see, good Jews, religious Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. Certainly, they wouldn't go to their home. Romans did strange things. They worshiped strange gods. They didn't keep washed or clean. They, they didn't eat right. They didn't have the right foods. No, Jews didn't hang out with people like Romans. And the centurion here is saying, Jesus, okay, not necessary. I, I get your rules. You don't have to come. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. This centurion's been watching Jesus. Undoubtedly, he's seen Jesus' amazing abilities. But he knew something more. He knew Jesus had authority over sickness and death. He knew that Jesus, with just a word, healed people and even raised the dead. Sickness responded to Jesus' power. And he also knew that Jesus, with authority over, was also in authority under. His miracles, he called on the Father. His power came direct from God. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this he was amazed thumazo only place this word is ever used about Jesus Jesus is astonished he is amazed and said to those following him truly I tell you I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith I wish I could find this in Israel Jesus is saying Capital letters, faith, this kind of trust, this kind of belief. I wish I could find that in Israel among God's people. And listen to this next phrase. Boy, this makes this a hard text. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says there are a lot of people who think they qualify for the kingdom. They think they qualify as God's children, but they're going to be on the outside looking in. Who's he talking about? Who's thinking that they qualify but is going to be left outside? He's talking about the Jewish religious leaders. What did they expect? Well, they thought that because they were Jews, racially pure Jews, the kingdom was about them. They called themselves subjects of the kingdom, sons of the kingdom. That was a term that they used often. And they thought that because they knew their Bibles... The kingdom was going to be about them. These guys, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they spent their life studying the Bible. They had all of the Old Testament memorized. Take your Bible. Put your left hand in the first chapter of Genesis. And put your right hand at the last chapter, chapter 4 of Malachi. And look at this. They had this memorized. Could quote it word perfect. That's how you got to be a religious leader. They knew more Bible than you ever hoped to know. What else did they think was important? Oh, they valued theological debate. That's how you qualified to be a rabbi, a leader. They would spend hours and days discussing, debating all the Tanakh, their scriptures meant, all of the Old Testament. What was God like? What had God said? How should we therefore live? That's the other thing. They had a personal holiness that was astounding. They obeyed the law down to the ridiculous. They were obsessively holy. They not only obeyed the Scripture, but they decided on the implications of Scripture and made laws about those. They made laws about laws. They were compulsively righteous. And here's Jesus talking about a guy who has none of that. And he says, I'm amazed. I wish I found any people in Israel like him. That is the kind of faith I'm looking for. And the kingdom is about this kind of trust. Not what the religious leaders think it's about. The kingdom is about what? Faith. Trust. Capital letters, believe. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go Let it be done as you have believed it would, and the servant was healed at that very moment. Wow, what a challenging text. Are you becoming what Jesus is looking for? Is that your kind of faith? Jesus, I trust you. Is that the kind of discipleship you're developing? Jesus, just say the word. Whatever you say, that's what we'll do. I believe in you. I've been talking with our leaders quite a bit these past weeks about means and ends. How important it is that as a church we know what we're after. What are our ends, our objectives? and how dangerous it is for a church to get confused about what we're trying to produce and obsess about means, means and ends. What is it we're trying to produce? Those are our ends. How is it we're going to do that? How is it we're gonna get there? Those are our means. Understand, this is where the Jewish religious leaders went wrong. This is where they misunderstood God's heart. They thought they were supposed to produce people who knew the Bible. They thought they were supposed to produce people who could debate theology. They thought they were supposed to produce people who lived the law and all of that. They were off. What they lacked was a dynamic living relationship of faith and trust in the Lord. What is it God wants to produce? People who have big letters faith. People who live in relationship with him. People who trust him. People who know him and do life by faith. Steve, why are you telling us this? Because it's so easy for evangelicals like me, evangelicals like us, to get it wrong, just like those Jewish leaders, to get our means confused with our ends, I want our leaders to think about and to get clear about what it is we're trying to produce. We produce faithful followers of Jesus, Jesus followers, capital letters believers who do all of life by faith in relationship with God, who have a relationship with Jesus that is so personal, so intimate, so intense that life's troubles are not life's troubles they are opportunities to watch jesus work People whose walk with Jesus is so consuming that daily life is walking and talking and conversation with God. People for whom prayer is not the last resort. It's the first inclination. People who don't just talk about Jesus on Sunday. He's the very air they breathe. People who know Him so intimately that every decision is processed by Jesus What do you think? Bible study is so important. Bible study is what feeds your understanding of the God you worship. But Bible knowledge is not an end. It's a means to produce people who walk by faith. Capital letters, believers. Correct theology, correct doctrine. That is so important. You don't want to have a twisted concept of God. But correct theology, correct doctrine is not an end. It is a means so that you understand as much as you can understand the one you worship, the God you're living for, the Lord you have faith in. Holy living is so important. Because when you sin, you interrupt your relationship with God. You damage your ability to hear God's voice and communication gets bunched up with Him. But we are not fundamentally trying to produce holy living people. Holy living is a means to stay in fellowship with the God you live for. Let me say it the way one of my favorite preachers, Andy Stanley, says it. We don't study the Bible so God will put a star by my name. Monday, Tuesday, I got stars. Wednesday, I got an X, got distracted and forgot my Bible study. That's not why you study your Bible. You study Scripture because that's where God reveals Himself. And the more you get to know Him, you become aware of the ways of God and the more your faith grows so that it's capital letters BELIEVE, not just add on lower character BELIEVE. It's about growing your faith relationship with Him. Simply knowing the Bible in isolation from an intimate relationship with God do you know what that makes you? just makes you arrogant. It just makes you, these are Andy Stanley's words, a Bible snob. Oh my goodness. She didn't know the difference between the Gospel of John and 1 John. She was supposed to go to the Gospel of John. Did you see that? She turned to the first, 1 John. How... Ignorant. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Simply being able to spout theology, knowing doctrine, apart from a sweet fellowship with the one you're trying to get to know, just makes you smart and able to look down your nose at people who aren't so well-read or who aren't so educated Theology ought to make you humble, not proud. The very first axiom of theology is that God is beyond our comprehension. Theology is simply our attempt to explain the unexplainable. We try to understand what God has shown us in his word and what God has said, but our ideas about God can't contain him or control him or manipulate him. When we get home to heaven, get this, we're going to discover that there's a lot of our earthly theology that was just plain wrong. I got that from a theology professor. A guy by the name of Ernie Mangus, Dr. Ernie Mangus, who's an evangelical free church theologian who teaches in the Philippines in a seminary. Holy living apart from a sweet dependency and trust in the Lord. If it's an end in itself, if it's not a means by which you can develop your relationship with God, if you load up on, I'm the most consistent, careful Christian I know. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't watch bad TV, I don't drink or smoke or dance, or I certainly don't hang around with girls who do. Listen, if that becomes an end in itself, if it's not about living humbly and trust with the Lord, All it will do is make you legalistic and judgmental. Now, listen, I'm not against Bible teaching, I'm for that. I am not against careful theology. I hope you know that. I'm for that. I I am certainly not dissing obedient Christian living. That is so important. But friends, those are means to the end that you become and that we make Jesus followers who are living in big letters faith, growing in big letters trust, developing the ability to live by big letters faith, with Jesus. So listen, friend, I want you to hear me. What God wants with you is a living, breathing, dynamic, exciting, passionate, intimate, consuming relationship with him. Get this, the God who made you, the God who came as Jesus to die to forgive you, to clear out a sweet, free free relationship with Him, He is waiting for you to trust Him, to be willing to faith it, to make Him the focus and the reason for your life. He wants a close relationship with you that is characterized by big letters faith. And that can be yours if you will simply let go of the stuff that distracts you and take hold of His hand and say, Jesus, I want you. I need God. We'll do life your way. I'm depending on you. I love this old song. Kind of oldy-moldy now. When I listen to Michael W. Smith sing this, almost always it brings me to tears. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. No one else will do. Because nothing else could take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find a way. Bring me back to you. You're all I want, Jesus. You're all I'll ever need, Lord. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. Let's pray. Help us, Lord. So many things can distract us. so many attitudes in our hearts we're just ignorant about. Your Word is truth. I thank You that through Your Word You reveal Yourself to us and what it looks like to live for You and walk with You, to do life with You as our guide and keeper. You're an amazing Lord. And we hunger for you. We thirst for you. Our desire is to draw close. Amen.